Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, today we are starting a new series. It's the beginning of the fall semester. We've got school starting, and we're going to be looking at God's Word afresh this fall together. And what we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks is a section of God's Word found in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 3, in a series that we're calling Good News. It's called that because Paul himself summarizes this message of the book of Romans by saying that this is the gospel, it is good news, it's salvation for all who believe, for the Jew and for the non-Jewish person. There is hope, there is good news. And we're going to be looking at that over the next seven weeks together from Romans 1 uh, through 3. But before we do that, before we look at our first section from Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 7 today, I want to just ask you a question. When was the last time that you had some good news to share? When was the last time you had good news to share? You, you got a good grade on a paper that you turned in and you couldn't wait to bring it home and show your parents. You, you, you got a promotion at work and you couldn't wait to let your friend know or, or to, to let your spouse know. You, you got a, a raise and you began thinking about all of the, the good things that were going to come from that raise in your life. You got accepted to the college that you wanted to or into the the major or degree field. You were excited about that. When was the last time you had some good news to share? I really hope that you don't have to think back too far. Uh, But hopefully you've got some good news, maybe even just in the last six months that you wanted to share. How did you process that information? No doubt if you had good news and you had someone to share it with, you didn't sit on it for very long, did you? You told them the first opportunity. You, you waited for that moment. You, you sprung out of your seat to tell them this news. You, you sent them a text and said, get ready when I get home. We're going to talk about something really exciting that has happened in life. That's what happens when you have some good news. Now, let's contrast that for a second. What happens when you have bad news? When was the last time you had some bad news to share? You had to come home and say, you know what, I didn't get a promotion, I got laid off. time when you came home and you weren't going to say that you got a raise, you were going to say that you went to the doctor and you were going to have to have an MRI and even though you weren't certain that you really needed it, it was going to cost all of your deductible $2,500. When was the last time you had some bad news to share? How did you process that? Did you send somebody a text and say, I can't wait to get home to tell you? Did you burst in the door and say, hey, guess what? No, you, you, might, have, you might have delayed. You might have avoided. You might have kept to yourself. You might have sat on it for 48 hours. You might have come home a little later because you wanted to prolong that conversation as long as possible. See, it matters the news that we have to share, doesn't it? When we have good news, we're excited about it. When we have bad news, we kind of turn inwardly. We're getting ready to make a turn into a series here at Wildwood that we've entitled Good News. Let me ask you the question before we get started. How do you view Christianity? How do you view your connection to Jesus Christ? Do you view it as good news or bad news? 
Now, you're here at 9.30 in the morning. You probably would not answer that you view this as bad news. But how do we treat our relationship with Christ? You ever struggle with treating your relationship with Christ like it's bad news? Something that you want to turn inward, something that you want to keep to yourself, something that you don't want to share, you hope doesn't come up in conversation. When it comes up, you, your eyes dart, you avoid contact. How do you view your relationship with Christ? Do you view it as good news or as bad news? You know, it's my experience that at times I view it both ways. Can anybody relate to that? This morning, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm coming to church to open up God's Word and, and teach about the good news of Christ, and I stop at 7-Eleven on the way in today to fuel up. When I'm in the checkout line at 7-Eleven, uh, the, the, the cashier on the other side of the register uh, says to me, do you have anything special happening today? Maybe he doesn't see a lot of sport coats at 6.30 in the morning. I don't know. And I said, no, it's just a typical Sunday. I got to the car and I almost went back in and bought a second donut because I was treating the gospel like bad news. You may relate to that. I mean, if you just were engaged and you walked into the store and the same question was asked, anything special happening today? What would you say? Yes, something special is happening. I just got engaged. This person that I love has said they want to spend the rest of their life with me. Can you believe it? And you know the 7-Eleven guy, what a high five, what a knuckle bump, there would have been a moment, right? That's what you do with good news. Why is it that sometimes we treat the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, like it's bad news? Well, I think today we're, we're going to begin a journey where we, we find out what exactly this message is. And when we see up close and personal, just what great news Jesus is offering to us. It's my hope and prayer that, that we turn, that we flip. For some, that we would embrace and believe this message for the first time, and for others of us, that we would simply be inspired by the greatness of this message to not keep it to ourselves, to not treat it like bad news any longer. We have a great message today from Romans chapter 1. Now, before we do that, I, I want to just make a comment. This this message of the book of Romans, this, this good news as Paul describes it, is, is not just good news because it's in the Bible, and it's not just good news because I say it's so. It's, it's historically, epically good news. Revolutions and reformations have sprung forth from people accurately understanding what the book of Romans says. Martin Luther, when describing the message of the book of Romans, says this. He says, Romans is, it is not worthy, it is, he says, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that, she, that, that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It was the message of the book of Romans that, that led Luther into a relationship with Christ. This is good news. Similar era, John Calvin said this of the message, he says, if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. I come from a, a Methodist background, and 
the Wesley brothers were greatly impacted by the message of the book of Romans because it was good news. It is historically great news, epic news. My hope is over the next seven weeks that we see that. We're going to begin our journey today by looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Romans 1, 1 to 7. This is the beginning words of the epistle. By epistle, I just mean a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century, probably sometime in the 50s. He wrote a letter to believers who lived in the city of Rome. That's why it's called the book of Romans. They were the original recipients of the letter. Paul wrote it to them. And God preserved it for us so that though the letter was written to the Romans, you and I can read it and gain encouragement from it as we look at this definition of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in in chapter 1, verse 1, and he says this. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in these seven verses, we're going to see two things today. And the two things we're going to see are really two questions. Two questions I'm going to ask you now, and then we're going to look at them a little more in depth as we back through these first seven verses. The questions are are simply this. Who are you, and what's your good news? Who are you, and what's your good news? Now, we see the first question very early on in this letter, and that is the who are you. Now, letters in the first century were written with the name of the author typically first. Whoever the letter was from, that would come up front. We're accustomed in our day and age to sign our names at the end of a letter. In the first century, they would put their name at the front of the letter, announcing to the reader who the letter was from. So Paul, as he sits down to write this letter to the Christians in Rome, he he begins by, by saying, hey, this is from Paul, the very first word of the letter. He says, this letter is from Paul. He is defining himself. Now, he is going to go into a little more in depth in the early stages of this letter to let everyone know who he is and who his message is. Paul typically will will have some kind of a short introduction around his name, but it's longer in the book of Romans. I think the reason why it's longer in Romans is because Paul had not visited Rome yet. We find out in chapter 1, verse 10 of Romans, we'll see that next week, that Paul had not yet visited Rome. Therefore, he didn't plant the church there. He wasn't directly involved as he was in many of the other cities where he sent letters. He sent them to people that already knew him. He had a, a track record with them. He had a history with them. Because Paul didn't have those kinds of things with the people of Rome, he felt the need to articulate a little more about who he was and what his message was. And so Paul begins, and he, he is going to 
let them know a little bit more of who he was in verses 1 and then verses 5 and 6. He says, this letter is from Paul, and he defines himself, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. A servant of Christ Jesus. When when Paul was going to put a, a business card out there, the very first thing under his name was servant. Some would even translate this as slave, but I think the idea was a slave by choice. Paul was a willing follower of Christ. The the most important thing about Paul he wanted the Romans to know was that he followed Jesus Christ. Jesus was his Lord. Jesus was his master. Whatever Jesus said, Paul would do. He took his marching orders from him. Paul wanted the Romans to be very clear up front that Paul was not writing merely as somebody who had come up with a good idea on his own. He was writing as a representative of his master, of his Lord, of Jesus Christ. W.H. Griffith Thomas said this about this comment that that Paul makes. He, He says that Paul regarded himself as the purchased possession of his Lord and master. The two ideas of property and service are suggested. There was no serfdom or servility, and yet there was an absolute loyalty in the consciousness of absolute possession. The bondservant owned nothing and was nothing apart from his master. His time, his strength, everything belonged altogether to another. There was nothing nobler to St. Paul than to be a slave of the Lord Jesus. He desired to be nothing, to do nothing, to own nothing apart from him. I think that is an accurate description of what Paul was saying there. He wanted the Romans to know up front that the most important thing about him was was nothing about him except for who he followed. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. He continues that on, though. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and then he says he was called to be an apostle. He was called to be an apostle. And and by that, Paul makes a little bit of a turn to offer forth a credential that he had that not everyone had. You see, apostle was not a title that was thrown around to every, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry and Mary in the first century. Not every follower of Christ was an apostle. This is a technical term that Jesus coined in Luke chapter 6 for those 12 that he commissioned to take this message to the world. The original 12 disciples, then minus Judas plus Matthias, were the apostles. They had seen the resurrection firsthand, and they had been commissioned by Christ to take this message to the world. A little later on, after Jesus had resurrected from the grave, he appeared to the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and changed Paul's life forever, brought him into a relationship with Christ. And then Jesus gave Paul this special mission to take the good news of Christ and to take it to Gentile people. Because Paul had seen with his eyes the resurrected Christ and had been given this commission, 
it was appropriate for Paul to call himself an apostle. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul would say that he was an apostle untimely born. The rest of the apostles had followed Christ in his earthly ministry. Paul had been added sometime later and yet carried the same authority of the original 12. That's why half of our New Testament was written by the apostle Paul. He was an, he was an apostle. So by combining these, these two ideas, Paul was saying, the most important thing about me is that I'm a servant of Christ. I, I take all of my direction from him. But you also need to know that I am someone who has been given authority by Christ to come and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason why Paul's words are preserved in Romans and other writings of the first century we would consider just interesting old reading is because Paul was an apostle and there was something unique and special about this. So when Paul writes to them, he wants them to know that he's a follower of Christ and they need to listen to him because Jesus has given him a special message to pass on to the people of Rome. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how the early church, there was a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There was a, a foundational teaching that the apostles would give that was unique and that was special and that the rest of the church would draw from it, would build off of it as we proclaim the message today. Paul wanted the Romans to know that he was a part of that foundation. He was an apostle. He was a servant of Christ. But Paul goes on in in verse 5, and he wants to let them know that not only is he an apostle, not only is he a servant of Christ, but he is someone who is set apart by by grace. Verse 5 says, through whom we have received grace. Through Jesus Christ, Paul wants them to know that he has received grace. What qualifies Paul to be an apostle, what qualifies Paul to, to share this message is not that he's perfect, it's that he serves a perfect God. What qualifies Paul is not that he has earned the right to be heard, but because Jesus wants the message to be known and he has graciously chosen Paul to take it to them. It's important for them to understand that what qualified Paul was the grace of God. It's important for us to know because this is a room of imperfect people. We need to be encouraged by the fact that that what sets us apart as followers of Christ, it's not that we're smarter, it's not that we've figured it out, it's, it's that God has been gracious to us. As we sang earlier today, the amazing grace of God. It qualified Paul, and it was important that Paul said that because Paul was a man with a reputation. He was a man with a past. He was a man that had, had held the coats of people who stoned Stephen because of his faith in Christ. He had gone city to city and was rounding up Christians that they might be persecuted. Paul was a man with a past, and he wanted them to know that there was a change that had happened in his life, and it didn't happen because he got smarter, and it didn't happen because he got more noble. It happened because God was gracious to him. As Paul is laying out his credentials, he wants them to know he's a servant of Christ. He's an an apostle called to be that, by Jesus, and he was set apart because he has received grace of God. And the grace that he was given led to Paul's own salvation, but also to a call for him to share the good news of Christ with those far from God. 
the Gentile people. He says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome. See, Paul had been given a special message to take the good news of Christ to people that most would have looked at and said that they are outside of God's plan, they are outside of God's will, they're not from the right side of the tracks, they're not from the right ethnicity. They've got their own ways of beliefs that separate them from God. That, that's the way the, the first century world would have viewed Gentiles, especially those from a Jewish background. But Paul wanted them to know that God had given him a special mission, a special privilege to take the good news of Jesus Christ and to let the world know, whoever he met, that hope was found in Christ. Now, that's who Paul was. Let me go back and and ask you this question. Who are you? Who are you? As you sit here today, do you see as the most important, most foundational part of who you are, your connection to Jesus Christ? Is Jesus an add-on on the periphery of your life, or is he at the center? Is he who you're, you're following or, or who you occasionally visit with? See, Paul accurately described a picture of a Christian as one who was a servant of Christ, a willing follower of him, someone that, that saw all of who we are as wrapped up in all of who he is. Do you view yourselves that way, or is Christianity just something that you have on the side? I have a friend, Mark Burgett, who has used this illustration many times, but he talks about, is your faith in Christ like the center of the wheel, like the the hub, or is it merely just a spoke, one thing in your life among many, or the thing that everything is connected to? Paul writes and says that, His connection to Christ was one as a servant, and I think that that is a great example. It's a great model for what it means for us who call Jesus Lord. After all, what does Lord really mean apart from being at the center of our wheel? What does it mean for us to say Lord if we're not willing to lay down our objectives for His, if we're willing to trust His perspective instead of our own? Who are you? Are, are, are you someone who is connected to Christ as your Lord? Who are you? Are you someone who is connected to Christ as your Lord? And, and are, you, are you someone who sees that, that he has given to you a, a special mission? That God wants to work through you to take the good news of Jesus Christ and to share it with those around you? Do, you. do you see that as part of the package, or do you think that that's something that God has merely outsourced to others? Your job is, is to sit here. Others' job is to tell people about Jesus. Have you ever thought that? I have. And yet, I think the, the picture that we get here is that God has given to all of us as believers in Christ good news that we would treat like good news, that we would be willing to share at 7-Eleven or at Thanksgiving dinner or with our children or with our classmates, with our friends, with those we come into contact with, 
in every facet and every arena of our lives. Who are we? Are we someone who sees ourselves as being given a mission by God? Paul did. And I think by application, we can as well. Are you someone who is here? Who are you? Are you someone who is here that, that has a sense of God's grace towards you? You know, as I began to describe those things to you a minute ago about God has a mission for you, there were some of you here that were like, you know what, I just am disqualified from that. The mission that God has in the world is for some people who have done less bad things than me. Some of you thought that. And yet, Paul reminds us that it's the grace of God that sets us apart for this. As I talked about being connected to Christ and Him being the Lord and us following Him, there were some of you that thought, that works for some people, but not people who have done what I've done, not people who have seen what I've seen. If you had that thought, you need to remember that it is the grace of God, it is His gift that He is offering to you to connect you to Him. See, who are you? It's an important question that Paul answers. It's an important question for us to answer as well. The first thing we see in this passage, who are you? The second thing we see is this, what is your good news? What's your good news? And I'll maybe say it this way. When you think about Christianity, do you think of it as good news? Or do you think of it as good advice? Is Christianity good advice? If you think of Christianity as good advice, some of the things that will will flow out of that is you'll say, you know what? Jesus has five great steps for a good marriage. Let me tell you about them. Jesus has, has four points for financial security. I've got some good advice for you. Now, make no mistake, the Bible has many good things to share with us about how we are to live our lives. But the good news of Jesus Christ is not merely good advice. It's not just some good life tips. It's something far more radical than that. And we'll see how Paul defines it here in a moment. But have you you fallen into a trap of thinking that your good news is merely just good advice, good tips for how to live better? Or have you begun to think that it's not your, your good news is merely just good thoughts, You've been a Christian for a while. You, you've read some things. I mean, you've read maybe Luther or Calvin or, or Piper or, or, or MacArthur or whoever. You, you've got, you've got your, a, a bookshelf full of books. You've read all this stuff. You've got Grudem Systematics, and you've got it memorized, and, and you've got all this stuff. Maybe you've even been to a seminary class before. Or you're signed up for Bible Institute. You've got a lot of knowledge going on, and Christianity for you has become some good thoughts. It's a system or a way of thinking. But you know what? This book of Romans is way more than good thoughts. You know, people have called this uh, the the greatest theological letter that has ever been written, the book of Romans. And and I I, I would agree. It's it's a a phenomenal, phenomenal book. But you know what? I, I know what you're thinking. Only a pastor can say that a theological book is great news. Um, but, but here's the thing. It's not just the thoughts that are in here. It's the, the reality 
of the events that have happened in history that make these things not just good thoughts, not just a way of thinking about the world, but something that radically changes your destiny. What's your good news? Is it really news? Was it just advice or some thoughts? Well, for, for Paul, it was definitely good news. He, he begins in, in verse 1, and he says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. The word gospel means good news. This good news was of God. Paul would say it again and again when he would open his mouth and he would talk about this message. This was not his message. This was God's message. God had revealed it. He had planned it out. It was the gospel of God. We don't merely have a religion that was the product of one person's ideas, one person's thoughts. Somebody goes into the forest and comes back with some tablets, and voila, you have a religion. It's not that. Somebody a thousand years ago gets an idea that they're a new prophet of God, and they take everything off in a different direction. This is not that either. This is God's idea. This is God's plan, and and Paul wanted to make sure that we knew that. He he says that it is the, the gospel of God And then verse 2 really is a parenthesis, so if we skip verse 2 for now, he says it's the gospel of God, the beginning of verse 3, concerning his son. You see, the gospel, the good news, is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus-focused. It is Jesus-centered. If your explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ goes more than three words without getting to Jesus, you're lost in the weeds someplace. It is Christ-consumed. It is Christ-focused. What made this news good was Jesus. It's the gospel. It is the good news concerning his Son. Well, what do we learn about the Son through this this passage? Verse 2 lets us know that This good news of the Son was not something that happened recently, but it's something that God had planned from the very beginning. Verse 2 says, this gospel of God, which he had promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the, the message of Jesus Christ, the good news concerning the Son, has a historical foundation that goes back a couple of thousand years through God's revealed word in Scripture. A promise was given in the garden that a foot would come down and squish the head of the snake. It was looking forward to the coming of the birth of Christ. And Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah is going to write about the suffering servant through by his stripes, by his, his wounds, by his scars, we would be healed. There was a plan, there was a promise, there was a sacrificial system that explained that the wages of sin was death and that death was needed for the forgiveness of sins. And all of that foundation, all of that groundwork, everything that God said for thousands of years before Jesus was born helps let us know that Jesus' birth was not an afterthought. It was not a secondary idea. It was not just somebody came up with a good idea in the first century. It was God's plan from the beginning. It makes it distinct and unique from every other religion in the world. Our good news has historical ties with a prophetic history. He says that this message that was prophesied about, it was concerning his son. And and what do we learn about the son? He says, the son was descended from David according to the flesh. 
That's important because God had made a promise to King David long before Jesus was born. He made a promise to King David that one day in 2 Samuel chapter 7, a descendant of David would come and would sit on David's throne and reign and rule forever. It's no accident that Jesus came according to the flesh by his earthly lineage. He was born as, as a descendant of David. That has significance in times beyond Christmas time. It's a verification of God's plan, of his pattern, but also of the humanity of Christ, born of a human lineage, but connecting him to the opportunity to rightfully reign as as David's heir. He was descended of David according to the flesh, but verse 4 it says, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what I think Paul is trying to say when he talks about this declaration of the Spirit and power. See, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it became a historical hinge. It became the change point for all of history. Even in Jesus' earthly life, for 30-plus years, he lived out his life as a servant. He lived out his life cloaking his divinity, It would only peek out occasionally for people to see. He spent his life as as a servant. But when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, the power of God was on full display. No longer would we guess that maybe Jesus looked kind of like or talked kind of like the Son of God. When the stone rolled away and Jesus walked out, there was definitive historical proof that Jesus was who he said he was because not only was he resurrected from the grave, but he called his shot. He said it would happen, and then out he walks, revealing in power that he was indeed the Son of God. This is important because our good news is not just good advice, it's not just good thoughts, it's tied to a historical reality that God loved us so much that he would send his Son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross so that you and I might have our sins forgiven and that we might be reconciled to God. And we pin that not on a hope. We pin that on the actual historical fact that Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected in three days. When Paul wrote this letter, it was just a few decades after that happened, 20-some years. There were still eyewitnesses around. If somebody wanted to discredit or disprove Christianity in the first century, they could have taken a reality tour to Jerusalem and looked and seen his body lying there. But they couldn't do it. Why? Because the grave was empty. This news is good. This news is great because in Christ, we have historical, verifiable evidence that God loves us, desires to be in relationship with us, and has provided a way to reconcile us to himself. God talked about it in history so that when Jesus came, it didn't seem like a Johnny-come-lately. It happened in real time. Is that the good news that you know? Is that the good news that you have to share? It's not merely a thought. It's not merely some advice. It's a radical opportunity to connect to the God of the universe. Now, I want to just conclude our time by just asking you this. When we began, I said we we're going to look at two questions. You know, who are you and what's your good news? 
There, there are some of you who came in here today, and when I asked, who are you, you thought of all of the things in your life that are broken. Who are you? And if I'd have given you enough time, you'd have thought, I am an alcoholic. I am someone who, who struggles with depression. I am somebody who is divorced. I am, am, am somebody who has got a sin struggle that no one in this room knows about, and I pray they never will. When I asked the question, who are you, some of you walked in, and those are the things that identify you. And if that's the case for you today, if you walked in here feeling very distant, very remote from God, I've got some good news for you. And that good news is that that God wants to give you his grace. Just like he did with Paul, God wants to extend to you his grace and his mercy. He wants to forgive you of your sins and reconcile you to himself. And that can begin just right here, right now, in this moment, by merely just confessing to God the greatness of who he is. And, And that merely is a reflection of the faith that God has already placed in your heart. When you embrace and believe what Christ has done for you, your eternity can change and forgiveness can come. Some of you, that's how you walked in here. But when I said, who are you? Some of you also walked in here and said, who are you? And you began to list all of your disqualifications. Yes, I'm connected to Christ, but you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm not smart enough. Um, I don't have the same opportunities. I, I don't have the same relational skills. I, I just, whatever, this idea of being used by God to share this message, I just don't know about it. Here's my challenge to you. We've got some good news. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at exactly what that news is. And here's what I would challenge you to do. Invite somebody to come with you. We're going to be talking about the good news of Jesus Christ over seven weeks. Invite them to come. Join you in this journey on Sunday mornings as we look at the good news that Paul identifies for us here. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for uh, your grace to us and the forgiveness that you give to us in Christ. And I pray that, that you would help us today um, to see this as, as good news, not as bad news, not as good advice, not as good thoughts, but as good news, a historical event that Jesus has come to die for our sins, and he's resurrected from the grave. Father, may we embrace that in faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 